This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So if you were here uh, last week, uh, you will have heard uh, an announcement from me that I'm going to soon be moving. Um, my last Sunday with you will be the, the last Sunday in February. I think that's the 26th. I think that's uh, the 26th or the 29th, one of those. Um, and then uh, my last actual service with everyone will be an, an Ash Wednesday service uh, on Wednesday night, March 1st. Uh, now that means there's about seven weeks left. Uh, which uh, does not seem like a lot of time. And uh, in uh, last week and then uh, throughout this last week, I had received uh, two uh, questions people asked me. Um, I'd encourage you at the end of this service to take advantage of the people that we have set up in the back for the listening post. I think that's a really great idea. And as Ken said earlier, we're going to have that listening post set up for the next several weeks. And uh, this could be an, an idea that you have or something that you think is really important about the future of their church. Maybe uh, something that you have picked up with your own vision, like I was saying this morning. I think it matters because each and every one of you see this church and see our community in different ways. So use the listening post that we have. Share what's on your heart. Share what's going on in your mind. Uh, two questions that the listening post people won't be able to really help you answer. Uh, one is, what happens next for me? And then two is, uh, why not July? Um, so let me, let me take a stab at those two. Um, when, I, uh, when I leave here, uh, I'm going to be moving north uh, to the Seattle area. That much I know. Uh, but this is earlier in the year. I mean, it's still January right now, and I'm dipping into question number two. But if any of you are familiar with the United Methodist system of appointing pastors, uh, traditionally pastors will get appointed in July. Now, I have a deep passion, I don't know if you know this about me, to be a pastor. It's, it's important for me to be able to teach, to be able to uh, share uh, time like this on Sunday mornings is, a, is an important part of who I am. And so uh, I've made myself available, and I'm interested in being appointed to a new church, um, but that's not something I'll know for, for a while. And so uh, the first question, what happens next, I'm not quite sure. Um, so I'm taking it slowly. Uh, what I do know now is that I will be moving. Uh, Seattle is a place, uh, one of the few places I have that I feel like uh, I can call home. This is now one of them as well. Um, you know, I grew up in eastern Washington, and I made regular trips to the Seattle area. Uh, it's now a place where I have a lot of friends that live there, and so it's important for me, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, so that's one of the things that's coming up for me. The second question is, uh, why not July? Um, again, the traditional method of appointing a pastor is that uh, really the, the current pastor will leave about the end of June, and then the new pastor will come in the first Sunday in July, and there's this boom, just this quick quick transition. Now, I feel like sometimes that can work really well, and sometimes that can be incredibly challenging. And for me, the question, uh, why not July, the answer is all about wellness. Uh, wellness for me, I think wellness for you. You know, I, I've loved my time here deeply, uh, but it has been a rough year, a rough almost two years for me. And because I carry this passion and this desire to really turn around and join a new community, to 
to continue serving as a pastor, I'm trying to consider and take care of my own wellness. And taking into stock the idea that I also have to do things like I've got to pack up and move, I've got to you know, start that journey. Uh, you know, there's a lot that's going to happen in a short period of time. And so I think for me, it's important that I'll be able to end here really well, and then I'll be able to have some time off, I'll be able to um, rest, and I'll be able to start getting ready. And that uh, is for my wellness. And honestly, the other answer, and this is not just a, a little coy answer, but in the conversations that I've heard between Ken and Dorita and the Staff Parish Relations Committee, all of these little ideas coming forward about what this new season could look like for this church, I am authentically excited. Now, I know that that might seem like, well, there's a silver lining there, because I'm a really great pastor, right? I know this. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, things happen, right? Things happen. And sometimes when we look back at the way that our lives have changed, uh, maybe something that happened unexpectedly, there are things that we would not have seen coming. And sometimes those are difficult things, and sometimes they are new opportunities that we could have never seen had we not entered into that season. And so as I think about the new season for this church, you know, there will be a time where we go through a period of, of, of unknowing. We're not necessarily sure what's going to happen next. And I think that's actually going to make for a beautiful season of epiphany for this church. And so um, when I talk about wellness, I think I'm entering into a season where I'll be able to leave early and I'll have uh, an opportunity to take care of my own wellness. And my hunch is that when we look back at this season for the life of this church, uh, where I left earlier instead of staying until the end of June, I think we'll be able to see this as a season that was both wellness for me and wellness for you, and hopefully a season of epiphany and growth and opportunity and promise and hope and a lot of other things. So I, I want you to know how excited I am I also want you to know how scared I am that there's a lot coming up. And so we're just going to take it uh, step by step, week by week, and uh, we're going to stick together, and we're going to talk, and that's going to be the, the trajectory for the next couple weeks. Um, I, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, what, so what happens now? What do I do? And I want to confess that uh, among the different things I considered doing, uh, you know, doing Greek and Hebrew lessons was one of them. Um, I have a couple of sermons that I know I really want to share, and that's going to happen before I leave. But one of the things that really mattered to me was I wanted to hear what you had to say. I wanted to hear the questions that you carry into this place every Sunday. Maybe these are questions that you've carried with you for a long, long time. Maybe they're questions that just pop up um, so over the next couple of weeks, I want to work on something with you. Now, I don't know if this is a good, or a good idea or not, so just bear with me. Um, I want to explore the idea that there's something else going on here. Not through my lens alone, but through our collective lens, by hearing what you have to say, by hearing the questions that you want to ask. And depending on the questions that you ask, I may not be able to actually provide any answers. I may be able to provide more questions. I may be able to uh, not provide the last word on an issue that you're considering, but maybe the first word in an exploration of what else is going on here. 
And so um, here's how I want to start this morning. Uh, I want to share a little parable with you, and then I want to talk about some of these different questions that you have. And depending on the questions, it'll give shape and structure for what maybe the next two or three weeks look like. But first, let me tell you a parable, okay? Uh, It's going to involve your imagination. So if you've not used your imagination recently, I need you to get that thing going, okay? Okay, so imagine you are at the airport. We're going to call it the Medford Airport for the sake of our imagination. You're waiting there at the baggage claim to pick up your Uncle Rick and your Aunt Nancy. I feel like everyone has an Aunt Nancy. Raise your hand if you have an Aunt Nancy. Okay, I was wrong. Are you, are you serious? Only one other person has an Aunt Nancy? We need to come up. You're really going to need to use your imaginations here, okay? So you're imagining that you have an Uncle Rick and an Aunt Nancy. You're waiting at the Medford Airport to pick them up at the baggage claim. You know, they are typically slow walkers, and they don't like, I know you're meeting them at the baggage claim, they don't like checking their bags. They like the carry-on model, right? But they always overpack, and, you know, they're not as strong as they used to be, so it takes them a long time to move from that plane all the way to where you're going to meet them at the baggage claim. You know this, so you're just sitting down on those little chairs, and you're just waiting, okay? Now, as you're waiting, you see a man coming from this direction, and you see a woman coming from this direction, and the woman is arriving with some bags, so she's clearly uh, arriving from a plane flight, and the man looks like he's coming to pick her up. And you're kind of sitting back, just on your chair, just doing your thing, and you see the man walking towards the woman, and the woman walking towards the man, and there's this moment where they just kind of lock eyes, and they pause for just a second. They take a breath, and they come closer, then they embrace in this quiet and simple yet deep hug. And then you just kind of think nothing of it. I mean, that sort of thing happens all the time at the Medford baggage claim area. (laughs) That sort of thing happens all the time at any baggage claim area, at any airport in any part of the country. It is the grand meeting place in our world. All these people coming together. But it happens all the time. You don't think anything of it. You don't know what else is going on there. And so you just carry on with the rest of your day. Now, I want you to imagine that you do know a little more about what's going on there. I want you to imagine that you know a little bit of the backstory. Uh, imagine that the man and the woman are actually brother and sister. And the sister has been in Africa for three years. She's been working at a at an orphanage in Malawi. Things weren't always great between you and your sister. And then when she left, this was both kind of a a launching point where you knew that, well, I'm not sure when we're going to talk again. But a couple weeks ago, you found out that your dad has brain cancer. He only has a couple of days left to live. Sister arranged a plane flight took the long bus to the airport, the long connecting flights. She's just getting off of a red-eye flight. You haven't seen each other in years. You know that you're going to see each other right now, and then you're going to the hospital. The rest of the family's going to be there. It's not going to be long until your father passes away. You know that from this moment on, things are, are never going to be the same. And you're sitting back and you see the brother and the sister come close. It's been so long since they've spoken. 
And they look at each other and they embrace and then they move on to that next chapter of their life. Uh, or, or this, uh, imagine it's a husband and a wife. Husband and wife, they've been married for a long time. They've got two kids that are in high school. They have the uh, uh, traditional life, except things haven't been going all that well. In fact, it, it's been a long time since they can remember things really feeling good, feeling promising, feeling hopeful. You know, a year ago, the woman woke up on her 40th birthday and just couldn't believe that this was the life that she had. And so the couple, they struggled through this for the longest time, trying to figure out what, what, is this, what does this mean? What does this mean for us individually? What does this mean for us as a couple, as a family? For the longest time, they didn't know if it meant that it was the end of their relationship. One of the things that came up in their new conversations in this time of great difficulty was that she had always wanted to be this artist. It was something she studied when she was a girl. She went to college to study art. But somewhere along the line of becoming an adult and having children and getting married, that dream died. She's always wanted to do this. And when that dream died, she felt like part of me kind of died. And so in talking about it, the husband and the wife figured that they needed to give this a shot. She needed to be able to try and do this. So she's been in New York for three months. She's been working so, so hard to try to showcase her paintings, showcase some of her art, things that she's done in between watching the kids, in between late nights of doing laundry. She's wanting to change how things are. And she was able to sell two paintings to a, a gallery in New York. They want her to be a featured artist in this gallery. She'll be able to visit regularly. This is changing everything for the future of this family. She called the other day to share the news with her husband. The husband realizes that things might never be the same, and this is good. This is good. They're not quite sure what's going to happen next, but they know, they know that they're in it together. And so she flies in. The husband and the wife see each other. They lock eyes, they embrace, and they move on to that next chapter of their life. Or, or this, imagine they're two friends. Two friends that knew each other kind of casually in high school. They were always friends of other friends. That's how they were connected, you know what I mean. It's been a long time since they've talked, and uh, as things are, they reconnected through Facebook, because apparently that's what Facebook is for, right? They both had separate lives. Uh, one of them got married and then had kids and got divorced. The other never really got married. Had a string of partners. But somehow they reconnected over Facebook because that's what Facebook's kind of for. And uh, they, they felt like there's something here. There's something going on here. And so they decided that whatever it was, they would give it a year. They would keep talking for a year. They wouldn't, they wouldn't rush into anything. They wouldn't fly and go see anyone. They wouldn't go any trips together. They would just keep talking for a year. And if they still felt like there was something else going on here after the end of that year, one of them would take a plane trip, and they'd see each other for the first time in 25 years. And that year is up, and they've been talking, and there's something else going on there. 
They feel such a profound depth, such a unique love, such a mystery about what could be going on here. And so the woman hopped on a plane, flew to Medford to see the man. She is so excited to see him, so excited to share with him the hopes and dreams of everything that she's picked up over the last year. He's got a diamond ring in his pocket. She doesn't know about it. They lock eyes. They see each other. They move closer together. Then they embrace in this quiet, deep hug. Then they move on to that next chapter. Now imagine that you're back at the baggage claim, knowing all of this, right? You know that there's something else going on here. Of course, things are different, yes? It's now not just a normal, boring drama unfolding before your eyes. It's a deeply profound, electric, electric story. It's charged with something. You know that there's something else going on here. There's something else going on here. And then imagine that your friend Jeffrey was also with you. You know, Jeffrey has a better car, and so you figured it would work better for Uncle Rick and Aunt Nancy to load their bags up in Jeffrey's car. So Jeffrey is in the bathroom. I don't know why he's in the bathroom. Let's just say he's been in there, been in there for a while. You're watching the story unfold before your very eyes. You see this electric drama. There's something else going on here. And then all of a sudden, Jeffrey walks up and says, they were out of paper towels. (sighs) And they didn't have air dryers either. Now, you're caught up in the drama of what's going on. You know that there's something else going on here. Jeffrey does not. And so you turn to Jeffrey and you say, what do you say? I want to invite you to take a minute. I want you to turn to your neighbor next to you and I just want you to talk about this question. What what would you say? How would you even begin to describe this moment. Now, you're caught up in the drama. Jeffrey doesn't know. Jeffrey's complaining about the wet hands. And you turn to Jeffrey and you say, okay, take a minute. Talk about this with your neighbor. You're sitting there. You're caught up in the drama. Jeffrey turns to you and said, they're out of paper towels. And you turn to Jeffrey and you say, use your pants. Y'all are a bunch of spiritual people. (laughs) Sounds like a personal problem. problem. What would you say? What was that? There's more to this than you think. What else we got? You just missed the best love scene ever. What else we got? Oh, um, you had a good one earlier. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, but there's another one. Uh, blow, blow dry your hands off. Blow dry your hands. <laughs> what do we got back here? You have no idea of the depth of what has just happened here. Man, that one's good. Of course, that's convicting as well because that, that's all the time, right? That's... 
Empathy for him, yes. The pastoral response. <laughs> Don't put him down. Yep. What would you... easy to forget. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Here, take my handkerchief. I like that. Gene made a very good point that you have to take care of someone's immediate needs before you... That's a good one, too. So the handkerchief first, then the story. You like spiked hair. <laughs> How many of you are frustrated with Jeffrey? I didn't know to wait. Take you out of that moment? Yeah, you were in a moment. You knew what was going on. Jeffrey doesn't know. I'm bringing you out of it. A little bit of humor. A little bit of humor, yeah. Yeah, what do you got? Too much myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are all Jeffrey. That's the end of the sermon, so, yeah. You know, for the entirety of my year and a half, almost two years, I've continued to try to keep this idea that there's something else going on here at the front of our imaginations. There's something else going on here. And exactly like you said, there is always something else going on. When it comes to our own vision, we are not always aware of what else is going on here. When I think about some of the stereotypical ways both churches have been treated and pastors and churches have act in terms of information, it has been this kind of black and white Economical exchange of data, questions and answers. People got questions, the person up at the lectern and the podium has all the answers. But that's not necessarily the problem. That doesn't actually begin to address the anxiety that I think we all feel. It doesn't begin to address the larger story that we feel like we want to be a part of. See, the problem isn't about questions and answers. It's about beginning conversations to what else might be going on here. When I think about reading through the Bible, when I think about gathering like this, when I think about uh, stories and sermons, when I think about big issues and small issues, to me, it's not a matter of whether or not we find the right answer. I'm not sure if you can do that. What you might be able to do is begin an exploration of what else is going on here. What else is going on here? This parable is just a, a retelling of a story in the Bible. It goes like this. Uh, it happens early on in the book of Genesis. There's a man named Jacob. Jacob has had his own difficulty with his siblings and his family. He actually just had a horrible encounter with his brother. They haven't talked. And then they actually met in a warm 
and quiet and deep embrace. Uh, Jacob is kind of on the run now, not sure what's going to happen next, and he uh, leaves his town, and it says uh, he reached a certain place, and he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And so taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. Worst pillow ever. He had a dream in which there was a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending, and there above it stood the Lord, And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are now lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south, and all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And when Jacob awoke, he said, surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. God was in this place, and I did not know it. 